0: Now here, a reading from Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the senior one in his household, who was in charge of everything he had, put your hand upon my thigh so that I may make you solemnly promised by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. You must not acquire a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. You must go instead to my country and to my relatives to find a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is not willing to come back with me to this land? Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Be careful never to take my son back there, Abraham told him. The Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and the land of my relatives promised me with a solemn oath to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you may find a wife for my son from there but if the woman is not willing to come back with you you will be free from this oath of mine but you must not take my son back there so the servant placed his hand upon the thigh of his master Abraham and gave a solemn promise he would carry out his wishes then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed with all kinds of gifts from his master at his disposal he journeyed to the region of aram Narahim and the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down by the well outside the city. It was the evening, the time when the women would go out to draw water. He prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, guide me today, be faithful to my master Abraham. Here, Here I am, standing by the spring, and the daughters of the people who live in the town are coming out to draw water. I will say to a young woman, please lower your jar so I may drink. May the one you have chosen for your servant, Isaac, reply, Drink, and I'll give your camels water too. In this way I will know that you have been faithful to my master. Before he had finished praying, there came Rebekah with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milka. Milcah was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Now the young woman was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever been physically intimate with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came back up. Abraham's servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a sip of the water from your jug. Drink, my lord, she replied, and quickly lowered her jug to her hands. She gave him a drink. When she had done so, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have drunk as much as they want. She quickly emptied her jug into the watering trout, and ran back to the well to draw more water until she had drawn enough for all his camels. Silently, the man watched her with interest to determine if the Lord had made his journey successful or not. After the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a Becca and two gold wrist bracelets weighing ten shekels and gave them to her. "'Whose daughter are you?' he asked. "'Tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night?' She said to him, "'I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Melchah, whom Melchah bore to Nahor. "'We have plenty of straw and feed,' she added and the room for you to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord, saying, praised be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not abandoned his faithful love for my master. The Lord has led me to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household all about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. Laban rushed out to meet the man at the spring when he saw the bracelets on his sister's wrist and the nose ring and heard his sister Rebecca say, this is what the man said to me. He went out to meet the man. There he was standing by the camels near the spring. Laban said to him, come, you who are blessed by the Lord, why are you standing out here when I've prepared the house and a place for the camels? So Abraham's servant went to the house and unloaded the camels. Straw and feed were given to the camels and water was provided so that he and the men who were with him could wash their feet. When food was served, he said, I will not eat until I've said what I want to say. Tell us, Laban said. After he told them, he and the men who were with him ate a meal and stayed there overnight. When they got up in the morning, he said, let me leave now so I can return to my master. But Rebecca's brother and her mother replied, let the girl stay with us a few more days, perhaps ten, then she can go. But he said to them, don't detain me. The Lord has granted me success on my journey. Let me leave now so I may return to my master. Then they said, we'll call the girl and find out what she wants to do. So they called Rebecca and asked her, do you want to go with this man? She replied, I want to go. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, accompanied by her female attendant with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebecca with these words sister may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands may your descendants possess the strongholds of their enemies then rebecca and her female servant mounted the camels and rode away with the man so abraham's servant took rebecca and left now isaac came from beer Lahairoi, roy for he was living in the negev he went out to relax in the field in the early evening then he looked up and saw that there were camels approaching Rebecca looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked Abraham's servant, who is that man walking in the field towards us? That is my master, the servant replied. So she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac everything that had happened. Then Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent. He took her as his wife and loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, speak to us about your word.
1: Father, give us eyes to see what you're showing us in the scriptures. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us hearts to believe and be transformed that we may be part of your great story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, uh, after about a month hiatus, we are returning to a study that Littleton Christian Church has been doing for several months on the book of Genesis. And obviously, we've made it to chapter 24 and arrived at this really delightful story. It, now, it may have felt a little long and I know how at least my brain works. Sometimes I'm following the details, and then it goes for a while, and, and all I can think is, this is long. This is long. So, so what did we just see and hear? We, we, we just heard this story of Abraham sending his head servant, his most faithful servant, in charge of his whole household, uh, back to Abraham's homeland where he came from to get a wife, for Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac is the promised son. There's been a lot of drama around Isaac's birth and his life and his survival. Last time we saw Abraham and Isaac, uh, God instructed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then intervened and rescued Isaac. And so there's all of this drama around Isaac and his life. And so this story brings us really to a, a a surprising and delightful scene because the servant goes out with just faithfulness to Abraham. And when he goes out, he goes a long ways with all of these camels and stuff. And he prays this this very specific prayer. Lord, let me know who is supposed to be Isaac's wife based on how she responds to my request for water. And he gives really specific criteria And, of course, Rebecca comes along. She's beautiful. She's single. You know, check, check. And she responds exactly as Isaac prayed. Now, every sort of scholar, every commentary that I studied um, looking at this passage said it's tempting to make this passage, you know, an example for how to pray. But they say the main point that The original readers of this passage would have needed to hear now the original readers are probably the Israelites who've been freed from Egypt and now they're wandering in the wilderness trying to figure out who they are who this God is what they're about how they're going to survive what they needed to hear was that against all odds God would ensure their continued existence because in this story that's what God does He ensures the continued existence of Abraham's line. Yes, that is the, I agree. I agree with the scholars. I'm not going to stand up here and disagree. But there's some details about prayer in here that we got to talk about. Because this is the first time in the Bible where we see someone pray such a specific prayer for guidance. And then God responds so specifically to it. This servant goes out and, and lays out criteria for God to meet, and God meets it. And, and so my question that, that I want to get at, you know, get around to the big point at, but I want to ask the question about prayer. What is prayer for? What, what does it do? How, how do we use it in, in our own lives? Because the servant uses prayer in a remarkable way. It seems that God does not mean for us people to be ignorant of what he's doing in us and around us. He doesn't want us to to be disconnected from it, just pawns moving around a chessboard, you know, unaware of what's happening. He's inviting us to be actively involved, every one of us actively involved. And many characters in this story, actually, in addition to the servant, demonstrate a prayerful life. Abraham is so confident that the servant will find a wife. You know, he, there's no pressure on the servant. Don't worry about it. If she, if you know, if she says no, he's just there's like a settled confidence there. You know, go do this for for God's promises to continue. Then then uh, she herself, Rebecca, responds to this opportunity. This leave your home and go a long ways to people you don't know. She responds to that prayerfully. Even her family responds prayerfully with a blessing to her. But of course, in the center of it all is the servant. We don't ever learn his name, but he goes and he says, Lord, all right, I'm going to ask a lady for a drink. And if she offers to Give water to my camels. Ten camels who've traveled a long time are really thirsty. It takes a lot of water. Okay. If if she offers to to give a drink to my camels, I'll know she's the one. When I was in college, there was a a girl in my class who was dating an upperclassman. Uh, so we didn't like him. And um, and as he as the as he was nearing graduation, he proposed to her. And when he proposed to her, she said, well, here's the deal. Years ago, I made a promise to God that I would marry the man who gave me a certain gift. And if you can give me that gift, I'll marry you. Uh, So he's like, okay. Um, So you know, in my mind, he's like wandering the sto- the stores, you know, in town, in and out. He ends up at an antique shop in another town, 45 minutes away. And he, you know, he's wa- he's like praying like, God, please show me. And, uh, and he comes across this like small cuckoo clock. And he's like, I think that's it. <laughs> so he brings it to her. And she is, stu- it's exactly the thing that she had, she had said. So I heard that story, I'm like, awesome. Wait, the, I would love to have that kind of confidence about who I'm supposed to marry. So I picked a random object. I'm like, okay, when a girl gives me this, all right, I won't tell you what it is, but I picked a random object. And, uh, and I decided that's how I'll know. And uh, needless to say, Aaron never gave me that thing. <laughs> and marrying her was the best decision I've ever made. So, you know, uh, it's like, is that what we're supposed to take from this story? I'll know your ways if you give me criteria, or, or if you meet the criteria that I give you, God. Because it seems like that's what the servant does. Really, what I'm asking is what is prayer for and how does it work? Right? I actually think there's a concept that we accidentally carry about prayer that we don't realize we're doing. But we we live in a consumer culture, all right? And so when we go into a store, we're we're really important to that store. In fact, we have a phrase, the customer is always right. Yeah, okay. So what is prayer? I think we think of prayer as heaven's customer service department, okay? When something goes wrong in the store, when a product you've received isn't working properly, when you can't find the bathrooms, you go to the customer service desk and you ask them you know, to fix you, to help you with your problem. And you know, many of you, not all of you, but many of you have learned that the way you treat the person at the customer service desk is going to impact whether or not they give you the right service right? So, so you know, make sure to compliment their shirt or something, you know, and, and ask them how their day's going before you try to get your money back or whatever. Um, also, uh, we carry this mentality in prayer in another way. We think, well, the more people that I can bring with me to explain this problem, the more this store is obligated to respond. Like, they want all of these customers to stay. In fact, there's more ways that we think of prayer as heaven's customer service department. And that is, if we know someone who's an employee of the store and is in with the store manager, like, we want to ask them to go and put the request in for us. Look, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor my entire adult life. And, um, And it happens often that people will come to me saying, hey i 've got this situation going. Will you pray for it now i'm there, there's nothing wrong with inviting other people in to pray for a situation and there's nothing wrong with inviting me i 'm happy to pray with you about something okay so don't hear me wrong here. but there is an assumption that because i 'm the guy who has a microphone strapped to my face on Sunday that somehow i've got like an inside track in prayer and 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 like, I, you know, for now, I'm an employee in good standing. You know, I've never been employee of the month, but I'm an employee in good standing. And, you know, so, you know, maybe if I say, hey, my friend, you know, they really need a favor. Can you hook them up with this? I think we think of prayer a lot like that. We also think of it like this. If if the customer service department doesn't treat you well, you're like, "Yeah, I don't really like that store anymore. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. You know, or if the employees were unkind to you, well, you'll go to another branch of the store maybe. Uh, something like that. We think of prayer in this way because we think of ourselves as consumers and, and the store manager wants you doing business there. This mindset actually puts our faith at risk, of course, It teaches us that we're the big deal. It's all about us. And as soon as something in your life doesn't go your way and your prayer doesn't seem to work, well, you think, I don't like that store anymore. I'm going somewhere else. This is not the type of prayer that is on display in Genesis 24. In Genesis 24... We see this servant act with astounding humility. Now, he uses the word success many times. Casey didn't read the whole chapter to you, by the way. It's a really long chapter. We cut out a big chunk of it where the story kind of gets repeated. But this servant is... Asking God, give me success. He mentions to the family, help me be successful. He prays, God, you've made me successful. So is prayer about being successful? What do we think success is? Well, we think of success in terms of the culture and community that I've described. Or maybe working toward a goal and achieving it. A a successful person maybe has a high-paying job or profitable investments or has achieved some stunning physical fitness or, or has, uh, has uh, tried out for some really exclusive and difficult challenge and has, has been included in it. A successful person may have lovely, stable relationships. I don't know. Is that what the servant means? That he's successful? Well, the Bible really wants us to know that that's not what success is because we never learn the servant's name. It's to, like the, the writer of the story is bending over backwards to say, don't miss the point. Don't try to be like this servant, but learn from the story. All right? Learn. Later on in the Bible, there's a character who maybe knows this story, but uh, tries to apply it like a customer. He's a guy named Gideon. Gideon. You find the story of Gideon in in the book of Judges. Uh, Here's what happens with Gideon. He's kind of living his life and an angel comes to him. And the angel says, Gideon, it's your job to gather an Israelite army and go and and rescue them from, from their powerful oppressors. And Gideon's like, I know you're an angel, but is this really legit? So he puts out a fleece and and you know, says, let this be dry and the ground wet tomorrow. And then it it happens. And then the next day, he's like, I'm still not sure. Let this be wet and the ground dry tomorrow. And so when you hear people talking about putting out a fleece, they're referring to Gideon's story. What we often miss with Gideon's story is it's presented to show Gideon is a fool. Like there's an angel (laughs) saying, go rescue God's people. That's, That's not a fake message, (laughs) all right? Gideon is looking for confirmation when he doesn't need it. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is the means that God has provided for us to be actively involved in what he's doing in the world. Prayer is the means God has provided for us in our little lives to be actively involved and what God is doing in the world. Gideon was using prayer to try to get out of what God was doing in the world. You see the difference? So, um, in church leadership, other situations, I've been involved many times um, in, in this like fun situation where there's a need that's come to our attention, and we, we want to contribute to it financially. We feel like that's the right thing to do, but we're not sure how much? And we'll have a group, you know, two or more people talking about it. This has happened many times where we say, okay, we're not really sure what the right amount is in this situation. And so we say, hey, let's, let's pray. And we're quiet. And it's kind of this like scary moment. Afterwards, we say, all right, everyone, did anyone like have a number come to your mind? And it not, this doesn't happen 100% of the time. We're not like magicians. But the, the majority of the time, that I've been involved in a situation like that, and it's a lot of times, like we have the same number in mind because we're not doing something for our own glory. We're, we're getting to be involved in what God is doing in someone else's life. So it's a pretty cool experience. That's, that demonstrates, I think, what prayer allows us to do. This, this whole life that we get to live is part of God's big story. Every one of you are part of God's big story. Some of you just don't realize it. Or you're 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 disconnected to it. But you are being invited into his good work in creation, into what he's doing, into his story. He wants to work in concert with us. In Genesis chapter two and three, God wants to walk with his. With Adam and Eve in the garden, he's given them jobs to do in the garden. They're supposed to to care for the rest of the garden, all of the creatures and plants. But God still he doesn't he doesn't say, "Hey, here's your job. I'll check in in a year. See how it's going." No, he's there every day, walking with them, looking for them, wanting to talk with them. Prayer is critical to our original purpose. It's the way we walk with them, and and even. Get recalibrated to what he's doing in our life and around us. This brings me to what Jesus says about prayer. Jesus has some interesting things to say about prayer. You might expect Jesus, as a good, you know, Christian teacher, the first one actually, since he's the Christ, um, to to basically give this message: the more you pray, the better. You know, an hour of prayer is way better than a minute of prayer. And, and that's kind of how many believers treat it, right? You know, more is better. Well, it turns out Jesus says almost exactly the opposite thing. You know, he says, don't, don't babble on and on and on like, like the non-believers who think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Instead, believe that your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then he gives us a prayer to pray. We'll pray it at the end of service. It's called the Lord's Prayer. All right? It's interesting to me that we often think people are super advanced in their faith when they are loquacious with their prayers. That's a new word for me this week, and now it's a new word for you. It means lots of words that are put together prettily. All right? Loquacious. We think, that's oh, look at how spiritual that person is. And Jesus says... That's exactly what deep in their heart they want. They're not actually praying for the things they're praying for. They're praying long, beautiful prayers so that you will think that I am super spiritual. That's that's the desire. That's the deep prayer underneath the prayer. So he gives us prayers to pray in order to set aside that kind of showmanship. That's what the Lord's Prayer does for us. All right? So let me bring this back to the servant. The very heart of his prayer is not the criteria that he lays out. All right. It's not, hey, the the camel, like this this camel thing. That's not the heart of his prayer. The heart of his prayer is just before that. He says, Lord, be faithful to my master, Abraham. And, And actually, those words are even better in the Hebrew. But he's saying, show your glorious covenant love. my master Abraham. He's praying for God to glorify himself in this situation. All right. The servant knows that God has made a big promise to Abraham. Your descendants, you'll be blessed. Through your descendants, the whole world will know the blessing and experience the blessing. They will be as many as the, the sand on the Seashore, the stars in the sky. Well, right now, Abraham has one descendant, Isaac, and he's living in his parents' basement, all right? So that's a problem. The servant knows we got to get this guy going here. Like, this is like critical. We got we to gotta move this story along. His task is difficult, all right? He believes this is a critical moment for God's work in the world. But it's also, and we know that too by reading it, but it's also, it's like the guy and the girl in my college. You know, uh, uh, married couples, you got married. <laughs> and that's kind of an everyday situation. Well, every Saturday in our culture, but it's a, you know, it's a, like people get married. It's, a, it's sort of a normal human experience that happens. All right, so please don't hear this sermon and think, I shouldn't trouble God with the details of my life, all right? I shouldn't, I shouldn't ask for this new job or, or for, um, you know, for the health of a loved one or for the preacher to get to the point. You know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't trouble God with those little things, only when I'm sure it's part of the big story. That would be, that would be an overcorrection, all right? That would be a mistake. In fact, I want to tell you, sort of in contrast to everything I'm saying, that there is not a single detail of your life that, that God doesn't want you to bring before him, All right, Every single part of your life from like the, the, the choice of which vehicle you buy for your next vehicle or v- whatever. There's not a single detail of your life that God doesn't want us to bring before Him. But the heart that we bring it before Him is the message here. All right, Are we bringing these things before Him? Our health, our relationships, our, our, our resources. Are we bringing these things before Him because I'm the customer and you got to make me happy? Or are we bringing things before Him to say, I want every part of my story to be part of your big story. To be part of what you are doing in the world around me. There's a great book on prayer. I recommend it to all of you. It's by Paul Miller. And it's called A Praying Life. And he says there's two errors we can make about prayer. On the one hand, we can be uh, cynical. You know, like, hey, it doesn't matter what you pray. God, you know, If God's out there, he's going to do what he's going to do. We're too little, all right? It doesn't matter what you pray. We can be cynical And that kills our prayers. Or we can be totally self-centered and think, it's all about me. God is here to serve me. And that ends up killing our faith in a different way. All right? One doesn't care about God's glory. The The other only cares about my own glory. And the servant is walking in neither of these. He is seeking success for Abraham's sake and God's glory. He brings the specific details of his situation into the picture. You you know, you may have an autoimmune disease. He has 10 thirsty camels. These are the situations that we bring and put into God's hands. And when he does, here's what has happened. The servant has positioned himself to see the story unfolding before him. And I think that's one of the great gifts of prayer. Jesus teaches us when we pray, pray, Lord, Father, let let your name be made holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. What are we doing? We're putting ourselves in position to see God answering that prayer in and around us. That's a joy that we get. That's a privilege that we get to see him at work. That's his desire. Francis Schaeffer coined this great term years ago about entrusting our lives to God like that. He calls it active passivity. All right? It, it's, it's saying, God, you're in charge. Like, let your will be done. But I want to be a part of it. And 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 this decision about which job to take, I want that to be a part of it. All right? That's, that's a beautiful way we can plug ourselves in to God's bigger story. Now, I mentioned, as I come to the close here, the servant is not the only one who demonstrates prayer in this passage. There's others who are actively passive in this chapter, practicing active passivity. There's there's a few people who are exposed to the apparent will of God and have to decide what to do with it. Abraham leans into the promises of God and acts accordingly. And Rebecca's family, like her 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 dad and her brother Laban, they they hear the story of what's happening, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, surely this is God at work!" You know, the whole story happens, and then they have the servant tell the whole story again, and they are stunned that that yes, this is the Lord working in the midst of the families, in the midst of this story in the midst of Isaac's life, in the midst of Rebecca's life. All right, so far, so good. Prayer is asking God to reveal his will. And it's also, I think, an act of surrendering when we see it happening. Because at first, her family says, this is great. This is God, surely. And then they start getting cold feet. I don't know if you noticed at the end of the story, they're like, actually, could she stay here for a little while longer? Like, we're not quite ready for this all to happen yet. And so, surprisingly, in this culture, they turn to the young woman and say, what do you want to do? And she says, I want to go. I want to go. It's a remarkable prayer. I will go. You see, the reason this is so remarkable is that a couple generations later, There's a mysterious servant who comes from a far country to God's people who are enslaved in Egypt. And he asks the ruler to release, to let those people go. And he even comes with miraculous signs, proof that it's God. And the ruler has a hard time letting them go. But of course, the people, they get to be Rebecca. I want to go. A few generations later, there's another woman in the story, this Moabitess named Ruth. She's presented with the same challenge, leave her home and join the people of God. And she says the exact same phrase as Rebecca, I will go. I want to go. And generations later, there's another young, pure, lovely virgin who's approached by a strange messenger. And invite it into God's big story. Will she bear the Messiah? And what does she say? She kind of combines the servant and Rebecca. I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me according to your word. Isn't it remarkable how this story plays out again and again? And when her son is grown, he, as a strange messenger, approaches a woman at a well. She's the very opposite of a virgin, she's got a lot of men in her life. And he says, Will you give me a drink of water? It's the same story. And then he sends her off to be an agent of his message. Guys, in this story, we see how it can continue to unfold again and again. And that same servant, by his spirit, is coming to you. He's come to a far country, to Littleton, Colorado, to invite you into God's big story. And and he's willing to pay the entire price. He's, He's willing to be the one who leaves his family, who sacrifices all, saying, I will go. That's what we remember at the table. You see, on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, take this and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes. We proclaim that he, as the faithful servant, traveled to a far country to bring us into the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord. Thank you for the gift of this story, for the gift of prayer that you, you, you did not need to include us in your story, and yet you've invited us into it. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I pray that as we come to this table, we would not come as people who have been like the servant or Rebecca or Ruth or Jesus. Lord, we're more like Laban, We're hesitant, we're afraid, but you've come all the way to us. And so now, by your Spirit, turn our hearts so that we join you this week in your big story. In Jesus' name, amen.